Good to see you here this morning. It's fun to worship God together. Um, I'd like to mention a couple of things that are coming up in the next few weeks, just so you can be aware. We're On October 3rd, we're going to share in a baptism together. So if you're interested in finding out more about what that is, there's an overview on September 26th during the first service that you can attend and find out more. I, I personally, I consider myself an expert at being baptized. I've been baptized twice. Um, the first time, I in the church I grew up in, if you wanted to make a decision to follow the Lord, you walked down the aisle and you told the pastor the decision you were going to make, and then uh, you know he talks to you about it and everything. And I, I completely faked him out in that conversation. I was not honest. He asked me if I'd ever sinned. Just you know, that's one of the checks that you, you know you're ready to follow God. And I said no. I I knew I had. I didn't want him to know. I mean, that was embarrassing. So I, I no, I never had. And anyway, long story short, he let me sneak through that that deal, and I was baptized. Then several years later, I was gripped with the fact that I had rebelled against God. And that cut me off from knowing him personally. And I made a decision that, however humiliating it is before this group of people who will now know that I lied the first time, I'm going to do this. And I need God. I need his forgiveness. I need him. I walked the aisle, spilled, spilled my guts <laughs> before God and that group of people. And then they loved me anyway. It was great. Great group of people. But then I was baptized a second time because in Scripture, baptism is intended, you find out that it's intended to follow your own commitment to follow Christ that you make. That's the pattern. You believe and then you're baptized. It's, it's, it's a symbol. That's all it is, is a symbol of what Jesus did for us. He died, we're immersed in the water, and we're raised up again to new life in him, and we identify with what he's done on our behalf. If you're interested, if you've recently committed your life to Christ or you haven't yet been baptized after your commitment, you can find out more about that at the overview that's coming up uh, next week. Also, uh, we have on the 3rd, October 3rd, a base camp that's coming up, which is uh, Neil Walker is going to teach that class. It's an opportunity to find out what the Bible says is necessary to have a relationship with God, to start a friendship with God, how, how uh, he has made a way for us to know him, even though we have rebelled and gone our own way. So that's an important class. If you're investigating Christianity, great opportunity to find out what it's all about and dig in there on that day. The details are on that tear-off sheet tear off part of the bookmark sort of portion of the program, you can dig in there. Right now, we're going to talk about getting out of survival mode. We're in a message series where we're looking at getting out of that, beyond survival. I'm, I'm calling survival mode that, that mode that we tend to default into as people in our family friend relationships and in our friendships where... We get disappointed and down. Our goals are blocked by someone else. We need them to do something so we can get our way. We get angry. 
someone hurts us and there's this deep-seated ill will that sort of settles in and simmers, simmers in us. And, and we pay them back out of our own devices. We try to pay them back or get what we want from them. That's survival mode. That's what we talked about last week. Things dry up in survival mode. It's, you know, relationally, it's like being out in the desert. There's no joy. There's no fun. It, it's, it's like being out there for however long we're in survival mode, days, months, and years. It's unpleasant. It's unpleasant for the person in survival mode and those around him or her, and you can pull people into it, which makes it really no fun for everybody around you. So, God's shown us how to get out of the survival mode. Just by way of review, I'll look real quickly at what we talked about last week. He shows us how to get out and stay out. Last week, we saw that selfishness is the main characteristic of survival mode. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or though you as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. And we talked last week about this contrast. You see all through the New Testament, the uh, part of the Bible that starts with Jesus' life and then continues on from there, um, you see this all through it, this contrast between a spirit-led, spirit-filled life, and a flesh-led, like flesh, uh, controlled by the sinful nature. That's, that's the contrast you see in Scripture. And when it says there, you're still controlled by the sinful nature, that's another way of saying being in the flesh. That's another way it's said. And then this is what it is, trying to, to get what we want or need without God's help. Relying on ourselves to get it. Our way. We're born into survival mode. And we continue in it. And we battle against it all our lives. You know, babies, when they're born, when they, have, when they need something, they cry. We don't blame them for that. They're babies. That's what babies do. They cry. And it gets louder and louder. And then as they grow up, they don't just cry. They start demanding what they want. And they start demanding more than they need. And that's, that's survival mode. You know, when you're, when you're demanding what you want. Here's some characteristics that list in this passage. You're jealous. Being jealous is when you're really bothered because someone else has what I want. That's, that's a characteristic of survival mode. You're jealous of one another and you quarrel. Conflict erupts when we don't get what we want. And we try to squeeze it out of the other person. That's what conflict's all about. We quarrel, we get into conflict because this other person doesn't give us what we want. And we go after them. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? This is a picture of being controlled by the Holy Spirit, whom we have. Once you decide to follow Christ, His Spirit enters your heart. And you have, you're connected to the resources of heaven to help you live. But that kind of thing, jealousy and quarreling, proves that you're controlled by your sinful nature. Aren't you living like people of the world? So that's the picture. The spirit and the flesh living in and out. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13:11 says, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away 
childish things. We're, we're looking in this message series at how to put away childish things, how, how to identify survival mode when we're in it, and how to get out of it. Because we can flip the switch. We're born into survival mode, but the moment you commit your life to follow Christ, you have his spirit in you, and you can decide who you're going to rely on. Are you going to rely on God's resources through his spirit to do life his way, or are you going to go back to your old way and do it in the flesh? You flip the switch. And when you identify that you're in survival mode, you can get out of it by just, God, that was wrong what I said and did. That thought was wrong. Will you forgive me and fill me again and help me to live life your way? That, that, that process goes over and over and over again, and God uses it to grow us. As we move along, last week we looked at two things that help us get out of survival mode. Love motivates us to find the way out, and humility, the second thing, helps us to see the way out. Philippians 2.1, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Basically what he's saying here is that when you come to Christ, those are the resources. Jesus gives you what you need to get out of survival mode. He, he his love becomes like a reservoir that we draw the resources from that we need to love the people around us. And it's by relying on him, his spirit, that we move forward. Philippians 2.3 says, don't be selfish. Major characteristic of survival mode. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of yourself, as, uh, think of, a, of others as better than yourselves. Humility helps us put ourselves in the right perspective so that we can see the needs around us and really serve people. This is the way out of survival mode, looking out for the interests of others. That's love as defined in Scripture. This, this word love that we've been talking about looking at is a Greek word that basically means I look out for the best interests of the other person regardless of how I feel. In survival mode, how do you feel? Cruddy. That is no fun in survival mode. But the way out is starting to look around you at the needs of others and serving them. And then your feelings begin to follow your choices. That's what you find in Scripture. There's a lot of help there. Today we're going to look at how to get past our tendency to protect ourselves in survival mode. A key to great friendships and family relationships is the ability to be yourself and to be accepted for who you are. If you aren't yourself, the friendship is unreal and shallow. The family relationship really is phony, and it's very unrewarding. I'd like to show you a clip from a movie called The Big Fish that illustrates what it's like to be in this survival mode of trying to protect yourself and not letting people see who you really are. You know about icebergs, Dad? Do I? I saw an iceberg once. They were hauling down to Texas for drinking water. They didn't count on there being an elephant frozen inside. The woolly kind, a mammoth. Dad. What? Am I trying to make a metaphor here? Well, you shouldn't have started with a question because people want to answer questions. 
you should have started with the thing about icebergs is. Okay, okay, okay. The thing about icebergs is you only see 10%. The other 90% is below the water where you can't see it. And that's <laughs> what it is with you, Dad. I, I, I'm only seeing this little bit that sticks above the water. Oh, you're only seeing down to my nose, my chin, my... Dad, I, ha I have no idea who you are. Because you've never told me a single fact. There's told a thousand facts. Well, it's what I do. I tell stories. You tell... Lies, Dad. You tell amusing lies. Stories are what you tell a five-year-old at bedtime. They're not elaborate mythologies that you maintain when your son is 10 and 15 and 20 and 30. And... I believed you. I, I I believed your story so much longer than I should have. And then when I realized, of course, that everything that you said was impossible, everything, I felt like a fool to have trusted you. You're like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny combined, just as charming and just as fake. You think I'm fake? Only on the surface, Dad, but it's all I've ever seen. Look. I'm about to have a kid of my own, and it would kill me if he went through his whole life never understanding me. It would kill you, huh? What do you want, Well, Who do you want me to be? Just yourself. Good, bad, everything. Just, just show me who you are for once. I've been nothing but myself since the day I was born. And if you can't see that, it's your failing, not mine. It's a really good picture of how it feels to be in survival mode. Phony relationships are completely unrewarding, and they're not helpful at all. We need to know others. And we need to be known by them in order for life to be really good. And so God gives us a tremendous amount of instruction in his word on the need to be real. To, to, to deal with reality with one another. Love motivates us to get out of survival mode. And it also creates the atmosphere we need to get real. It's very, very important because it drives our ability to be real with one another. It really helps us in this way. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. But speaking the truth in love, which actually means Truthing in love, do everything in love. Thinking, truthing, speaking, walking, living, whatever. It's, it, you just, you're saturated with the truth in the atmosphere of love. In the New Testament, one of the major images for the church is that of a body. And in the body of the church, love is the circulatory system that keeps the nourishment going where it needs to be. But in that circulatory system, we need to be telling each other the truth. Different parts of the body need to tell each other the truth so that we can work together 
and provide the support that's needed and the perspective that's needed. Truth is crucial to healthy relationships. But love is the right atmosphere that we need to create so that truth can be seen by the person who's hearing it. A crabby, harsh, sour attitude is not the atmosphere that opens people up. That's survival mode. It it shuts people up like a clam, closes them down. And so God, God, what God wants in the church is he wants us to learn to relate to each other his way so that we can begin to, to experience the blessing of the truth in our hearts and lives, and then it can spill over into every part of our life. Listen to this. this. I read this this week. I don't know who said it. It was just quoted by some, someone in something I read. It says, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That's truth. You have to have both. You have to have truth and love. Genuine love and acceptance build trust and create an atmosphere in which we can be open But we must learn that truth is our friend. Reality is what we need. It helps us in the same way that a doctor is able to make the right kind of diagnosis as he gets the facts from the test that he's taking, as he looks at the medical facts he can make. We need the truth. We need reality. We need to learn to love reality and to live it and to speak it and to let people see what's really going on appropriately. We don't need to walk around like we have an x-ray machine on all the time so that people see everything. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible talks about discretion. It talks about appropriate honesty. It doesn't mention gushing and just spilling your guts all the time to everybody. That's not what I'm talking about. But having the outside, what you're saying and doing, match the inside. That's integrity. That's what the Bible's talking about. In the appropriate way, you let people know on the outside what's going on in the inside to the appropriate people. You need to find people who love you and who love the truth and open up to them about areas of your life where you're hurting, where you're struggling. If you don't, people can't help. This, this is what helps you get out of survival mode when you're in it and stay out. And there are some serious damages from deception that I'd like to look at in in. All of this. First of all, first set of damages is isolation and distance. My, my, could, my kids took some distance learning courses in college, saved us money. It was great. I appreciated that. Uh, they, they did most of their work in these courses online. In the scripture, there is no distance learning for the things that really matter. You can get some facts down by learning through those kind of courses. But God's designed it so we always end up in groups. We're born into a family. We're, we work in teams. We go to school with classmates. We, we work in work groups. There, there's people that we're teaming up with. And here in church life, he brings people together into a body, into a group of people who are trying to get something done together. Some very important things are built into you through these friendships. And through family relationships. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who keeps himself separate for his own private purpose 
goes against all good sense. Healthy relationships are a key to growth and change in life. We need them, and we can't. We've got to watch out that we're not keeping ourselves separate. Another damage that happens from deception is that people can't help you. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We all hit places in life on a regular basis where we need outside perspective and help. We need someone who can look at what's going on and see it from a different angle who will help us figure out what's going on. If people don't know what's going on, they can't help. If we're leaving out some of the important pieces of the puzzle of what's going on in our life, they can't see the whole picture and they don't know how to respond, how to support and how to help. They don't know how to be most helpful. And in doing that, you waste all kinds of energy covering up and trying to pretend and you never deal with the real problems in your life because you're spending a lot of energy walling, walling people off. And you're in the danger zone. You're, you're, you're in a real danger zone when you intentionally close off parts of your life from others who can be trusted to love you and speak the truth to you. But we do this. We're pretty sure we know what they're going to think. And maybe they even already said it. And we just, we just keep this part of our life separate and to ourselves because we want to do what we want to do. And over the years, it ends up blowing up in our face and really causing some serious damage because we've isolated ourselves and people don't know how to help us. Because this thing that we think is harmless, if it's not God's way, if it's opposed to God's way, if it's a selfish thing or if it's uh, in rebellion to God, it is going to hurt us. And so... When people speak the truth, we need to ask questions. We need to find out. We need to keep talking until it makes sense to us because we're going to do what makes sense. A third kind of damage is the guilt that, that occurs brings inner turmoil. There are uh, some things that King David, King David was the king of Israel. He did some horrible things. And you can read about what he did in 1 Samuel 11 and 12. That's the thing about the Bible. It's very real. I mean, it just lays it all out. Heroes of the Bible, you see all their warts and everything. You can read what he did in 1 Samuel 11 and 12. But the passage that I want to read shows how he was and what he was feeling, what was going on inside before he got real with God. Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is what God does when we're honest before him about our sin and rebellion. He forgives. We had a, we actually have, we have a, an antique bedroom set. It's in my daughter's room, Lindsay. It's in her room. That's a beautiful bird's eye maple antique bedroom set that my neighbor, I had a neighbor growing up. Her last name was Randall. My first name's Randall. She thought I was named after her. And, uh, 
or after them, and they they loved me. They didn't have any kids, and they really loved me. So I got spoiled in all kinds of ways by everybody around me. It wasn't good for me. Let me tell you, it just feeds the selfishness. But anyway, she she gave she gave uh, me in her will. She gave me this antique bedroom set. It's a beautiful bedroom set. And one time we were taking it apart to move it or do something, and I reached and grabbed the rail, and the rail crumbled. Outwardly, it was beautiful. Inwardly, the termites had begun to eat away. And so that rail crumbled. We had to go get it repaired. And that's what happens inside when we, when we hide and try to deceive God, and we don't come clean before him and say, God, I've blown it before you. It eats away. The inner turmoil eats away at the inside. When you try to hide your rebellion, it eats you up. But when you admit it, God, I've blown it. I, I, I've been wrong. I've been in rebellion. When you admit it before him, he forgives. And his grace is as refreshing as a tall glass of iced tea in the middle of a hot summer day when you're working outside. It's refreshing. There's this refreshment that comes. When you're hiding things from others that should be in the open, the same thing happens. There's this turmoil. Ah, I might be found out. This, this, this might go wrong. And out of the fear of the pain that you might experience, if people knew this about you, you cover it up, and it ends up magnifying the pain when it comes out or when you don't experience the, the love that, that you should have. So that's, that's some things that happen, the turmoil that's going on inside. Final kind of damage is you miss out on true acceptance. We're told in Romans 15 to accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. If you aren't real with others, they aren't accepting the real you. They're accepting a plastic version of you. In in the flesh, we try to protect our own reputation and put a spin on ourselves so others will accept us. That's survival mode. God accepts the real you in Jesus Christ. It's what David experienced. That's what everyone who's turned around from going their own way and admitted to God, God, I've been in rebellion. Will you forgive me? We've experienced that. We've experienced the freedom and the acceptance that comes. And God wants that to be a part of our group here at Church in the Valley and all of those who follow him. Deception is one way that we try to survive in relationships on our own without God's help. It's the way that we try to get what we want pain-free. And God wants us to open up to people we can trust who love us, who will tell us the truth, and then work it out. It takes, it takes work to think these things through and end up in the right place. So those are some damage. How, how, how do we avoid that kind of damage? First of all, put away falsehood, Scripture tells us. Colossians 3. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here's what we do. Take pains to make sure that your thoughts, emotions, words, and actions line up with reality. 
We, we have to take pains. We have to be careful to do this. In other words, be completely honest in, in conversations. In other words, what you're saying should match what's going on the inside. You need to use discretion. You don't need to be completely transparent all the time. But what you're saying should match what's happening inside. Don't deceive in the way that you approach your work or business dealings or your schoolwork. Don't, don't deceive. When you promise something, do it. Intend to do it and do it. Follow through on it. When you hear rumors, aim to get the facts before you jump to conclusions. Don't leave out important bits of information in conversations to make yourself look good. Or, or when someone is drawing a conclusion that's not right, don't just let it go. Straighten it out. Don't give false impressions. Don't exaggerate. That's survival mode. These are different ways that we deceive to try to get what we want out of people so that they'll accept us, so that they'll think well of us, so that we'll have good relationships. If you catch yourself in this mode, what's the passage say? Throw it off like a dirty shirt. I, I get a stain on my shirt at restaurants. drives me crazy. Seems like the older I get, the more stains I get. I don't know how that works, man. Why can I not just lean over? But anyway, you get relaxed and, you know, you start eating like this. I don't know what happens. But anyway, you get stains on your shirt. I, you go to the restroom and you try to clean the thing off, and it's just a bigger, kind of lesser-looking stain. The only way to deal with it is to throw the shirt off and get a new shirt. That's the only way. That's what Scripture's saying. We can't just, on our own, fix the stain. We have to change shirts. And this is something that once you've decided to follow Christ, you find yourself constantly doing. Putting off the old way, survival mode, and putting on the new way, God's way. It's being renewed. This is how God changes us. We recognize when we're doing it the old way, admit it before God, admit it to anybody else we brought into the problem and the situation, and we put on the new way, and we move forward in that. That's how we change. Next, we need to love the truth. We need to learn to love the truth. It's important. Zechariah 8.19. This is a passage that a prophet wrote when God's people were really in a mess. They were in a mess because they were trying to do life their own way, not God's way. And this is what he says. The Lord God Almighty says, The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth, tenth months. These were fasts of mourning. They will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. There's two things we're to love. We're going to look at loving peace in a couple of weeks. But we need to love peace. I mean, love truth in order to get out of survival mode. It's a very important thing. We need to love reality, love truth. It's a major key to getting out of default mode. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.4 says, They perish, describing people who have decided not to follow God, they've refused him. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Deception is a tool we use to save ourselves. The truth is a tool God uses to bring his blessing into our life and to do his work. 
I, I like this. I read this. I don't know who said it, but I like this. Whenever we lie, Satan goes to work. Whenever we speak the truth, the Spirit of God goes to work. And you find yourself, as you speak the truth, you have to trust him to do the work. Because when you lie and deceive, you're sort of, you know, protecting yourself and you're relying on yourself. And Satan has all kinds of ways that he gets to work in your heart and life. But when you speak the truth, you have to trust God to come through. Because many times when you speak the truth, you're just not looking that great. Or you can see a way how you might be able to skirt around the truth and get the, the mission accomplished your own way. And speaking the truth means, wow, I just I don't know what's going to happen. I've got to trust God in this. It takes faith to trust him. Love the truth in faith, trusting God to work through it. He does. He works through the truth. Finally, live in the light. We need to have a pattern of living in the light. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in, in, by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all, all sin. Friendship with God and others grows in the light. Fellowship, which just means living life together, it happens as we stay out of the shadows. So in CIV, when you become a member, you commit to seven heart attitudes that provide the boundaries within which good relationships grow. And here is heart attitude number two, which is what we've been talking about today. Live an honest and open life. In other words, the outside matches the inside. People know what's going on so they can help you. We commit to these because God uses them to keep us out of survival mode and help us get out of it when we find ourselves in it. We're going to be receiving our offering in a few minutes. And before we do that, I'd like to encourage you to think through some next steps that you could take as a result of hearing this message this morning. We, we do this because taking next steps, applying the Bible, applying the Word, opens up our understanding. We begin to realize the truth of what God's saying here. But first step you could take is to memorize Ephesians 4.25. I don't have it memorized in the version that's up on the, the wall, but therefore um, each of you should put away falsehood and speak truthfully with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So that's a great verse to memorize, to remember, uh, to be truthful. Put off falsehood, change shirts, <laughs> change the clothes, put on the new clothes of the new way, the way that Jesus wants us to live. A second step could be to turn to God and confess any deception to him. That's what it takes to establish a true friendship with God, is to turn from going your own way, turn around, and admit your sin and rebellion to him. But there may be some that you've been sort of trying to ignore and not upfront about with him. Confess that to him. And then finally, talk to someone you trust about a problem you've been hiding. Maybe you've been trying to work it out on your own, you haven't been able to. Talk to someone you, you trust who loves you about that and work it out. Those are some steps you could take. There may be others on your heart uh, that you can take as well. Let's pray for the power to follow through. Father, we thank you for your word that really sets us free as we get into it, try to understand it, 
and then take steps to follow you in line with it, we find freedom. You set us free from the things that really drag us down and keep us in a mode where we're not experiencing the joy that you want us to experience in life. Father, you've laid steps on our hearts. You've given us ideas as as we've talked. And we can see what you want. Help us to take the steps to get in line with what you want. Give us the power to do this, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.